Hmm. It's fall. Last week, some of you didn't express your love for fall. I'm still a little bit mad because fall is a beautiful season. It's gorgeous. I mean, we can all agree, even if you don't like fall, it's beautiful, right? Yeah? I saw like three hands, but I heard a lot of yeses, so I'll take that as yes. Fall is beautiful. The leaves on the trees are just amazing. There's some incredible colors. Even when they fall on the ground and they kind of coat what was once grass, it looks kind of cool, and it's kind of beautiful in its own way. Fall is a beautiful season. But, you know, it reminds me, uh, when I was a teenager, we had a lot of trees in our backyard, and so the leaves would fall and cover the grass. You couldn't see a single, single uh, blade of grass anywhere. And inevitably, my dad would come and ask me, hey, Kevin, would you like to rake those leaves for me? Now, as a teenager with questionable work ethic, I would say, no way! <laughs> do it yourself. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. To which he would say, Well, too bad. I'm asking you to. And besides, it will build character. Ah, who's been there with me before? Right? Your parents have told you something, and when you asked why, they say it builds character. Now, I would like a little bit of help here. What was that character-building thing your parents made you do growing up that you just hated? Stacking wood? Okay. Clean your room. Clean your room. Uh-huh. Wash dishes. Wash dishes. Yeah, that was one of my least favorites, too. Melt cows every day after school. That might not be a universal experience for us, but that sounds like a character-building <laughs> exercise. How about any, anyone younger than, like, 20 in here? What does your parents do right now? Make you eat barbecue. Make you eat barbecue? I mean, I agree with them on that one. You should. It builds character and, you know, muscles. Not that I know. What else? Anyone? Talk in church. Talk in church? <laughs> yeah, you also talk in church because it builds character. When I ask you a question, ask you to raise your hand. I like that, Bob. Good call. You see, usually we equate building character with doing something we hate. Right? But I wonder if we've been looking at that wrong. I wonder if we're looking at it from the wrong angle. I wonder if there's something else to character building. I mean, surely every dad of the world who has said it builds character must have been onto something, right? Yeah. So we're going to unpack that a bit today. We're in week two of our series, After God's Heart, where we are studying the life of David. And we're considering what makes David a man after God's heart, and how can we seek to be a person also known for being after God's heart? Now, if you're here in-house, you all received a notebook. And uh, Al and I were joking. He said, so this is to spot all the mistakes and heresies, right? said, absolutely, just never show me those, unless it's a heresy. I guess you should show me if I'm being a heretic. Hopefully I'm not. No, it's for you to jot down anything that pops in your mind so that you can remember it. It's shockingly sad how little we all remember about a sermon after we leave it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like something like less than 10%. 
that makes me wonder, like, why do I do all this? But not actually, don't worry. But it does show if you write things down, it sticks with you a lot more, and you can return to it. And I have these journals of all these old sermon notes that I go through, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't remember writing that, but that's speaking to me right now. And so I encourage you, unless you're not just this note-taking sort, to go ahead and put anything down that pops in your head in that notebook and see if it might be helpful. Now, this is where we are at in this, in this series, After God's Heart. Last week, we looked at David's courage when he slayed the giant Goliath. And we saw that David's courage, it was founded not in himself, but in Almighty God. It was in his unwavering faith that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Now, next week, we're going to look at David's confession. His confession of his sins, but also of his faith. Because we know David was not perfect, far from it. But it's what he does when he messes up that makes him a man after God's heart. But today is all about character. Character, this essential part of who we are, part of every motivation, thought, and action. And we see in David that it's a core piece of what makes him a man after God's own heart. See, that is David's legacy. That's his God-given legacy. And we talked last week that legacy is defined by how we live our lives. We can't just, at the end of our lives, say, remember me because of this. Our legacy is what remembers and follows after us long after we're gone. So I, we ask the question, what is your longed-for legacy? We can't speak it into being, but we can name it because our, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So if we put it down, we can aspire towards it. Now, if you didn't get a chance to write it down last week, hey, you get a chance now. What do you hope and long to be known for well after you leave this earth? Now, here's the thing. You could write down the most beautiful-sounding, God-honoring, desired legacy. You could do all the right things, say all the right things, but if you lack godly character, none of it will matter. See, character is a matter of the heart, and we cannot be a person after God's own heart if we're not willing to align our own heart with God's. So let's see what's up with David and his character and see what we can do about our own. Are y'all ready to build some character? Sound as excited as I was to rake those leaves. <laughs> All right, there we go. Let's dive in. Uh, last week, um, we saw, you know, David display his great courage. Today, we're looking at a different side of David, but it's a side that was part of him throughout his entire journey. Uh, it's the side where he is gentle and caring and loving. And we're going to find out today that in many ways, David, a man after God's own heart, reflects the very heart of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We're going to spend some time in 2 Samuel chapter 9 today. 2 Samuel 9. To catch us up from where we are, because this, I mean, if you've been reading along with our reading challenge, um, which we're about halfway through, there's a lot going on. So to catch us up where we are, King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. He loved throwing spears. He tried to kill David over and over and over again. He's now dead. His son Jonathan, who was a very dear friend to David, is now also dead. They were killed by the Philistines. 
And David is finally crowned king over all of Israel many years after he was anointed by Samuel long ago. Now, throughout all of this, David somehow remains himself. It's easy to think that, you know, uh, as we read the story, that it all happens in a short amount of time. But in actuality, when he uh, became king, it was some 20 years, give or take, after he slayed the giant Goliath. That's a long time, and yet David remains himself. He remains humble, steadfast, with a strong faith in God, in close communion with him, and somehow, despite it all, he also remains kind. So let's read one example of this. 2 Samuel 9, we're going to start with verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You're welcome to look at it in whatever translation you like. It goes like this. One day, David asked, is anybody in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, he asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show him God's kindness. So Ziba replied, uh, yes, well, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is uh, crippled in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. Well, in Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. So if you've been reading our reading plan with us, you'll remember that David made a promise to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel 18 and 20. And he said to him that he would not cut off his love from the house of Saul, even once Jonathan was gone. David also promised to Saul that he wouldn't harm anybody in his line. This was after David saved his life the first time, or spared his life, excuse me. So David asks and says he wants to show God's kindness to whoever might still be alive from Saul's line. But if you're the Ziba character, think about it. You're probably wondering, what in the world is David really up to? You see, if he's asking if anyone from his enemy's line is still alive. And Ziba, he worked under Saul, like I said, he liked to throw spears. He was rather unstable. He was unpredictable. And he, most of his life, uh, later life, was trying to capture and kill David and his men. And not only that, but most kings of David's time tried to wipe out the families of their rivals in order to prevent any descendants from ever seeking the throne. And here you can see and sense Ziba's concern Wondering, what is David's attention? Because he very quickly mentions, oh, the man is crippled, David, which shows there's really no threat to you, David. But David sends for him anyway. And let's see what happens. Picking back up in verse 6. His name was Mephibosheth. Bless you. <laughs> he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. 
first off, Jonathan had a very normal name, and he named his kid Mephibosheth. Come on, that's just unfair. But more importantly, this is the second time we've encountered Mephibosheth in our story. Back in 2 Samuel 4.4, 4, it tells us Mephibosheth has been crippled since he was five years old. It was the same day he learned that his granddad and his dad had died in battle. His nurse had picked him up to try and get away from the Philistines to make sure he was safe, dropped him, and that's how he was crippled. Seems he did get away to safety, but he has been fatherless and crippled most of his life, and certainly most of the life that he remembers. Now, he knew David as his grandpa's enemy. Jonathan, his dad, loved David, but his memory was probably pretty blurry from five and under, right? It's hard to remember anything from five and below. So he heard probably others, because he lived with Saul's people while there was a civil war going on, probably all about David. And I don't expect it to all be good things. So he has an idea of David when he is brought before him. He's summoned to the king. Kings usually got rid of their enemies. So imagine what Mephibosheth is likely thinking. He probably thought he was going to die. So what does Mephibosheth do? He does the very little that's in his own power in hopes of escaping death. First, he bows low to the ground. If you're crippled, that takes substantial effort to bow low to the ground in a sign of respect. Not only that, he then offers his very first words to serve him. And here we have an echo of the parable of the prodigal son when the son comes back and is willing to be a slave for his father, never expecting to be restored to his family. Because Mephibosheth here thinks his very best outcome of this encounter with the king would be to become a slave. But let's see how David responds, picking back up in verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. So Mephibosheth, he bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him, to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Whoa. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, just like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. And we see, we see David's godly character fully on display. Wow, what a, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful story where David, he was a king. 
He was an incredibly busy guy, all right? And not just uh, covering all his kingly duties, but we also know he had a really big family. We're going to unpack that next week and deal with his family situation. But he was busy, and yet he went out of his way to uphold this promise. And it has been several years since he and Jonathan were close. No one would have expected him to follow through on this promise. But David is a man after God's own heart. And he remembers, and he extends God's kindness to Mephibosheth in abundance. And this is kind of amazing. The kindness Mephibosheth received, it's the very same kindness that each of us receive. Just as David had received God's kindness, he was an instrument of God's kindness. And we receive it too. Like David, we are also called to be instruments of his kindness because we have received God's kindness in full. While we were sinners and did not deserve the kindness of God, Jesus died for us. Not only that, in this life, God is patient, caring, and gentle as he guides us by his spirit. And so, now that we have received his kindness, we can give it away. Kindness, we know it's a fruit of the spirit. It's an outpouring of the heart that is seeking God. So if we're considering what it means to align our hearts with God and to build a godly character, we're reminded of how important it is for us to be instruments of God's kindness. It's one of the most basic things we are taught since we are tiny, is to be kind. And for whatever reason, it's one of the major things that is lacking in this world right now. But we have been called, as followers of Christ, to be instruments of kindness. That also means not being selective in who we are kind to. It goes beyond us just simply being kind. See, a lot of times, we can weaponize kindness because we're selfish people, right? We have the sinful nature about us that just corrupts everything. We can sometimes use our kindness to try and win people over for our own purposes. But if we're extending God's kindness to others, it takes away that selfishness. And then we can see, just as David kept his word, That kindness isn't selfish at all. David kept an old promise. No one would have ever known about it. So what else does that show us? But we need to be people who keep our word. Have you ever known someone who's like very wishy-washy and keeps going back on their words and their promises and like, like what happens with your relationship with that person? You just, you feel like you can't trust them, right? And, and you question their motives and you question their heart. You question their character. So if we want to align our hearts with God, the next thing we learn from David here is to strive to be men and women who keep our word. See, when we make a promise, when we make a commitment, sometimes you got to work really hard to keep it. But even if it's difficult, we should do all we can to follow through on our word. 
As Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm reminded that the Bible is filled with God's promises to us. I am so deeply thankful that God never changes. He always does what he says he will do. And we can trust Jesus because he is the ultimate promise keeper. My kids like being in church, by the way. Can you tell? It's not bothering me at all up here. It's not distracting me. I know it's a natural thing to maybe be distracted, but man, I'd rather have sounds of kids here than them being absent. Yeah. God is the ultimate promise keeper. At the heart of it, in this story, David displays abundant grace to Mephibosheth. He doesn't kill Mephibosheth like he had suspected or like what other kings would do. In fact, when Mephibosheth shows up, he is terrified knowing David has the power to put him to death. But what does David do? He removes all his fears. He said what God and his messengers say repeatedly to us and others in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Not only did David spare his life, but he gave to him all of Saul's land. Oh, that is a king's ransom. Think about it. Saul, a conquering king, had a ton of land. Mephibosheth, who had really nothing, is given all of that to him because of the grace of David. And his grace goes beyond just Mephibosheth. Remember Ziba and his enormous family? He gave them a place of honor by placing them over all of Saul's land and ensuring that their families would be well cared for, have well-being and prosperity in their own right. And David does even one more. What does he do but let Mephibosheth eat at the king's table forever? He does the most unexpected thing by taking him in as if he was one of his own sons. He grants him extraordinary grace when Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve it. Can you see it? Can you see it? This is a beautiful picture of Jesus' love for us. We are the crippled man in this story. And Jesus has not only restored us from judgment, but he has invited us to eat at his table as a part of the family of God forever. That, my friends, is grace. So how do we respond to such an extraordinary gift? By freely giving what we have freely received. We freely give what we have freely received. And what have we freely received but grace, forgiveness, love, mercy, all in abundance. So what will we give to those around us? Grace, forgiveness, kindness, love, mercy, See, God has been incredibly generous to us. And so in response, it is only right to generously pour out all that we have been given. 
Who are we to think we are better than God to accept all his goodness to just want to hold on to it for ourselves? There's a better way. And that way is grace. Because grace in its very nature is meant to be shared and multiplied. And finally here we see David gave Mephibosheth an abundant life. He was crippled, had been since he was five, had no family, probably couldn't find a job. It would have been very hard for him to make it on his own. And that all changed because of the grace that David extended to him. His life changed completely because of one amazing act of love. God may have placed someone in your life that by just one amazing act of love, it could totally change the course of their life. Who is that person in your life? And what is that act of love? So finally, to align our hearts with God, it is to love God and our neighbor abundantly. That is, after all, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We see it present in David. We see it present in Jesus Christ. And this story gives us just one small glimpse of David's life, but one that is consistently after God's heart. And we can see a pattern in David's life for us to follow, to rely and have total faith in God, which leads to us living in step with God, which leads to us becoming more like God, and all of a sudden we see we have developed godly character. And it's part of this lifelong journey of learning. And David, he had this unchangeable belief that God was faithful and forgiving. And we know David's not perfect. We know he messed up a big time. But when he sinned, he was quick to confess. His confessions were from the heart. His repentance was genuine. So in this lifelong journey of building character, it's taken one small step of faithfulness at a time. And ultimately, we know we can become more like Christ because that happens not on our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. The fancy word we use for this is sanctification, where the Spirit of God living inside us will do a work in and through us if you have a willing heart. The Spirit guides, inspires, encourages, convicts, and equips, all which leads to us looking more like Christ. So is building character simply doing something we hate? If we're talking about building godly character, I dare say we've been looking at it wrong. Building godly character, it's the kind of character that counts after all, is letting the Spirit transform your life in love. And that is a joy. Yeah, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes growth hurts. Sometimes transformation hurts. But if we're trusting our lives to God, then just like in childbirth, we can trust the hurt brings with it life, beauty, purpose, and meaning. So today, what do you sense the Spirit leading you to do to grow more like Christ? Maybe it's to increase your kindness. Perhaps it's to work on keeping your word or being generous and gracious to all. Or maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, I know this. 
The way we do that, the way we move forward in our walk with God is by remaining in him. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. His grace is sufficient. His spirit is willing. And all we have to do is take faithful step after faithful step. And that's how we build a legacy. A legacy in which we may someday be called a person after God's own heart. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your servant David that all those years ago treated a man such as Mephibosheth with such grace and kindness and love to welcome him in at his very table. And it is not lost on us, God, that that is the very same thing you do for each and every one of us. Where without you, we had no path. We had no life. We had nothing but destruction and death because of the sin that's present in the world and present in us. But because of your goodness, because of your love, because of your mercy, you made a way where there was no way. So Lord, this morning, we give you thanks. We deeply desire to have the type of character that counts, Lord. Type of character that points to you and is grounded in you and formed in you. So Lord, we pray right now you reveal to us where we have work to do. And the gentleness and the loving path of your spirit, may you reveal that to us. And give us that very first step of stepping back towards you in that area. We want to be known for being people after your heart, God. So we pray you do a work in our hearts today. May we build our lives on you, on your love, on your truth, and your goodness, trusting that Jesus is king, and his kingdom is here, and it is coming in full. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.